Hello and welcome to Scott Rock. Where your hosts from Climb Scotland, Robert McKenzie and me, Cal McBain, catch up with climbers every two weeks who have different epic tales to tell us. We hope you enjoy the show. And remember, when you're out climbing, be safe and do your buddy checks. Alright guys and welcome back to Scott Rock and the continuation of our Meet Your Hosts episodes. Last week you heard from yours truly, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, as always get in touch with us, leave us some comments. Uh, we are just going to jump straight into this one and let you learn a little bit more about your host Callum McBain. Thanks, appreciate that. Sorry I just like put you cool. off in the first little bit there. Yeah, well, at least we get the one uh, edit out of the way. Um, cool, yeah, so I was thinking about what kind of introduction to give you, uh, and it was hard. So you can tell me if this is, if you consider this representative of Callum McBain. Uh, Callum, you are a, let's say, young, climbing-obsessed, prolific rock fondler. Who looks like he's just stepped off a three-week epic on a big wall somewhere. Yeah, I reckon that's probably about right. <laughs> I don't know if I can take, like, how long can you keep taking the young thing for? Like, at what point am I not allowed to be young anymore? Uh, until you've got the same number of grey hairs that I have. <laughs> that might, I might have adult children by that point. <laughs> well, if it's taken you this long to even grow a beard, that seems pretty accurate. Well, yeah, this is like... My, like, half a millimetre of stubble is, like, almost a year of growth. What do you mean a year? That's been 28 years of growth. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I... Man, yeah, I didn't know where to go with this interview. You know, I think you're in the same boat as me of interviewing someone who you know quite well. You don't quite know where to go because you know so much about them already. You know that there's quite a lot you could talk about. So thinking of questions for this was quite hard. Um, uh, do I go down your entry into climbing, which is almost a a modern day take on an old school classic, I suppose. Uh, then you've got you know the family man with the equally climbing obsessed family. You've got your RDO work. Uh, then you've just got all your personal climbing. So, yeah, I didn't quite know where to go. So I've written down a bunch of questions, and we're just going to really see where this goes. How's that sound to you? Oh, I'm, like, pretty terrified by 28 questions. <laughs> uh, yeah, and a few of these are going to put you on the spot as well. I think this would be good. See, um, I, I'm, I'm worried. Like, I, I feel like I'm quite opinionated, and, like, I'm worried I'm going to say something a bit too controversial for the, the PG-13 <laughs> Scott Rock podcast. <laughs> well, okay, uh, if Callum does say something massively controversial, feel free to leave some comments uh, on the on the website or on the Facebook. Uh, let him know your thoughts. <laughs> Direct all complaints to Callum McBain. I know. What have I opened myself up to? Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's just let's just jump off from. Let's talk about the how you got into climbing because like i said i it is a bit of a modern take i suppose on an old school classic you know the uni mountaineering clubs is where a lot of the greatest mountaineers and climbers not that i'm saying that you are one 
but it's where the the greatest mountaineers oh. and climbers throughout history um, have started. A lot of them is through school clubs or mountaineering clubs or anything. Um, whereas the sort of more modern day entry into climbing is is more sort of indoors, maybe with a touch of the the competitive side, which you kind of skipped over. Uh, and you know the the university clubs are still a huge part of our community now and that's where you came in so you are the modern day take on the old school classic um but yeah it tells a little bit about your your club and how you actually got started then well i guess i like, i mainly started climbing in a uni club i did like i climbed like a little bit before that i think so i got into climbing when i was like what age are you in like primary seven what is that like t- like 11 or 12 that's, or something yeah 11, 12, something like that. So I, I think the first time I went climbing was at GCC when I was in primary seven for like a friend's birthday party. Um, and I remember like going into the blue room and like instantly like falling in love with climbing. Like from that first time going to GCC, like I knew that was what I wanted to do. Like it was just like a total click, like instantly, like everything else I found boring, but climbing, that's kind of what I wanted to keep on doing. And I remember being that, like, <laughs> I really vividly remember, like, I think it was my friend Kerry who I went climbing with. And, like, he would, like, basically just pulled me up this 6A that was really overhanging. Like, in the blue room in GCC, it's the one that's on, like, the doorway. And that I remember, one, like... overhanging panel. Yeah, like, a slightly overhanging panel. And I remember him, like, basically, like, cause he's a lot bigger than me, like, hauling me up this 6A and me getting to the top and having no idea that, like, that's... I suppose not really what you're meant to do when you're climbing. Like for my first time climbing, I was like, "Oh, cool!" You just get to the top, and like Kerry was just like absolutely like yarding me up this six A, and I was basically like being flown up it, and I was like, "Oh, this is great!" Um, and then obviously you learn when you're a bit more experienced in climbing that that ethic isn't really. <laughs> that's not how I climb now. Luckily, when I try to do sport climbing or trad or whatever. Um, but yeah, that was the first time I ever went climbing, and then. I think my mum took me like a few times afterwards to GCC. I kind of went on and off a little bit. Um, and then I just could totally dropped out of climbing from the ages of like 14 to 19. And then when I was 19, I went back to university. I went to university in Dundee and joined the Mountaineering Club. And that's how I kind of got into climbing properly. It was started through hill walking and then got into climbing a vertical world. Uh, I just basically got mad obsessed. Like, I spent most of my time doing my degree, or most of my time not doing my degree and just going climbing instead and using all my spare money from student loans to buy a rack, which has served me quite well because I bought that 10 years ago and it's like my current rack <laughs> is still all from this like period of buying stuff in first year of uni. So, like, is that I, something you really want to admit on a, on a podcast that's going out to the public? Yeah, <laughs> well, some <laughs> some people are sensible and they save up their money and then get a mortgage or buy a car or something. But mine's turned out pretty well. Like, I still use all that climbing kit, so well, yeah, it's you've like definitely a... got your money's worth out of it. Yeah, like I wouldn't say it's not sensible. Um, well, whether most uh, smart climbers would continue to use some of that equipment is questionable, but yeah, each to their own. Mm, yeah, definitely. A few people look at my uh, rope a bit funny. I've probably had that <laughs> like, a bit too many years. Tell me, is that that orange rope you've got? Yeah, it's the one that it used to be an 80 metre rope and it's been used so much, it's now, I think it's less than 40. It's been chopped so many times, it's less than half the length. It's also about as thick as my wrist. Yeah. 
Com- <laughs> it's the it's the no fall rope. When you when you get in the project and you've got to do it, that's what you tie in with. Like I said, old school. <laughs> well, a mix of a mix of old school and new school. Um, so uh, you right? So I didn't realise your first time climbing or being hauled up a wall was at GCC, mm. and mm. you went on to work at GCC. That's a weird, yeah, a weird little thing. It's like full circle. I like I, I, I like trying to piece together because obviously climbing is quite a small community. Um, and I've enjoyed trying to piece together who took my climbing session when I was 12 years old. And I actually figured out that I think on the first, the taster, I remember doing like the, the spire abseil. So in GCC, you get to go up to like the, the church spire and like abseil down, like total yeah. staple of the, the GCC birthday party. But it was actually, I'm almost 100% sure it was Neil McGeeky that did my abseil for me when I was 12. And I really vividly remember it because I remember getting to the top of the abseil and asking Neil, like, oh, if I, if I like, let go of, like, the abseil rope, like, what's going to happen? And I think, like, Neil obviously was just like, oh, jokingly said, well, you're just going to fall to the ground, aren't you? And I kind of looked at him and was like, oh, that's really dangerous and unsafe. Like, no way. But being, like, a reasonably smart kid, I was like, right, I'm not going to let go at the top because if I let go at the top, then I'll, like, die. So what I'll do is I'll wait till I'm like pretty close to the ground and then just let go and see if what he said was true. <laughs> now, <laughs> I think what happened is Neil probably, obviously you have like a, like a safety rope as well that like the instructor is controlling, but I've definitely done this being an instructor as well. The kid gets pretty close to the bottom and you just yard out loads and loads of slack and then get ready to get the next kids. So I think Neil, yeah. Neil did that just at the perfect time that I was thinking, oh, like I'm still a little bit high up, but I'll probably test it now. So I just like let go of the rope and there's loads and loads of slack in the safety line. So I just like smash into the the, the big <laughs> cardboard thing in the bottom. And then I was like, ah, oh, he was actually telling the truth. Like I did have the power. I was the one <laughs> like lowering myself on this rope. That's and then just amazing. like amazing dusting myself down and walking back in. I really hope Geek listens to this. <laughs> See, I remember being told the classic story of uh, Neil McGeeky at GCC when a kid would ask... Uh, you know, what happens if you fall out the window? And obviously the instructor, they've got their cow's tail on, they clip themselves to the anchor so they can't go anywhere. But where, there was one time uh, a kid asked Geek, uh, what happens if you fall out the window? And he'd go, oh, well, you just fall out like, ah! And he jumps out the window and shock loads his cow's tail. <laughs> Probably not to be recommended, but it made a very good uh, visual for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I so, def- uh, uh, so you're, you know, you you got into uni. Did you join the mountaineering club straight away, or was this like a, a second year? I need to actually get out of the pub and do something. No, I think I was like a pretty, like a pretty terrible kid socially. Like I was like properly like socially inept. Like didn't know how to do anything. Didn't know how to speak to people. Like couldn't look people in the eye. And like, I, I think. Still don't. Yeah, probably still. I've <laughs> <Still, laughs> not really got much better. Um, but yeah, I remember, I think I tried out loads of different clubs when I went to uni. I remember trying out like the hockey club and just being like laughably awful at it. Like looking back, it's such a painful memory of like everyone lining up and taking shots of like shooting into the goal. And I was literally like swinging it like a golf club and like missing. <laughs> and I, I think that was like so traumatic I've actually semi-blocked out of my brain like I can't fully remember what happened because 
if I did, I would be like a mess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I did. I tried like a few other clubs and just didn't really get on with them. And then I suppose I went to like the taster climbing sessions at AVW, which the yeah. like a vertical world, which the rucksack club, which is the uni club at Dundee, which they ran. And it, it was kind of like it was the same feeling of that moment when I was at a birthday party when I was twelve. It was like, ah, yeah, this is like this is what I like. This is what I want to do. Like climbing, this is definitely it. Um, yeah. And yes, yeah, so that's it, you of... could have been the RDO for hockey right now. Oh yeah, <sighs> that's like the the Callum alternative life. Yeah, yeah, parallel universe. Um, so yeah, join the club. What was your what was your learning curve like with the club? Did you were you quite sensible in how steady you took it, or did you go classic university student? I've tried climbing once. Let's go do a, a winter solo somewhere. I think... Apologies to any students that are listening to this that are part of Mountaineering Club. <laughs> <laughs> you just insulted like every single university yeah. student. Um, yeah. The guys from Glasgow Uni are never going to look at me again. I reckon I was pretty sensible, I think. I think that was partly down to... Partly down to having pretty good mentors. Like I think my mentors were like pretty safety conscious at the time. Um, yeah. And then the other half, I think, is probably... This is about a shout-out to Mountaineering Scotland. Or maybe, more specifically, a shout-out to Heather Morning from Mountaineering Scotland. Because um, I remember going to all like the, the student safety weekends and like all the Mountaineering Scotland safety courses. So I had this like nice blended approach of learning from mentors, but then also getting like really cheap like formal tuition and climbing. Yeah. Um, which I think was like a really good basis for learning all the skills and I was like I, I think back then I was just like a total sponge for climbing information like I, I just wanted to know everything like I would sit and watch like YouTube instructional videos like every night on how to <laughs> rig an abseil or like how to build a belay like and just sit and like absorb everything um you know that if there's any kids listening to this they're not going to believe you're young enough that you were watching YouTube back then yeah I don't know <laughs> what what was what would we watch for YouTube I don't know um, uh, VHS videos, yeah. Well, what is it like the Alpine Essentials DVD or something? That... <laughs> nice. So, what was uh, like a couple of your craziest trips with the uni club? Like, what did you guys actually get up to in in the rucksack club? The rucksack club, I think, was pretty tame as a uni club. Like, I don't oh, think yeah. it had like a massive climbing pedigree. Um, I think a lot of the trips more stemmed from like a vertical world. Like a lot of the climbing around that time was more focused around sort of people I'd met at the wall. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of like uni club trips we went on. There's a really good like May bank holiday weekend where we managed to fit in like every sort of climbing in the space of a weekend. Um, and it tied in with like, this is like my highlight of the Mountain Union Club is I organised the, the mystery trip to Mall. So every year there'd be one weekend trip where only the meat sec knew about it. Um, yeah. And that year I I'd went out the boat, I totally went for it, went for like remote island and organised this trip to Mull. But before the Friday we managed to go, because the ice was really, really good. It was that uh, winter, it was really, really high, low pressure, high pressure. Well, I can't remember. What's the good weather one? High pressure. Um, I should know that being a mountain leader. I feel like that's a bit yeah, of a... <laughs> um, <laughs> I obviously missed my weather class. Um, it was like really good high pressure. Um, and like the winter conditions were amazing. So all these low level ice falls were in condition. So on the way to Mull, 
or to Oban, we got um, did Izani, which is near Ben Lee. It's like yeah. like low level waterfall. I remember like doing that in t-shirts, like ice climbing in t-shirts, and then nice. going to Ered on Mull, which is like the little island that's not really attached. It, like, at low tide, it's it's not attached, and at high tide, like um, it's connected via a little sand strip thing. Pretty sure you got that the wrong way around. Oh no, yeah, sorry. Uh, low low tide, <laughs> low tide. It's connected to the like mainland mall, and at high tide, it like gets chopped off from the yeah. From the, from... When the water rises, a magical bridge appears. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Um, <laughs> but it's got these amazing like micro granite roots. So they're like all like ten to eleven meters long, and like perfect granite cracks. Like they're just oh, that lovely. that awkward length where if they're a bit shorter there'd be boulder problems, but they're kind of like mini trad routes. Yeah, um, and it was like Sounds really like most of the crags in the south of Scotland. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I had an excellent day there, like climbing, and then I think we did Ben Moore, so we ticked like the hill walking box on Sunday, and then oh, what did we do Monday? I think we went skiing at like Nevis Range, trying to complete like what? every activity in a, a long weekend. Um, that was nice. really one of the one of the more fun rucksack club things we did. Um, I don't, that sounds I, pretty epic, actually. There wasn't too many like climbing trips in rucksack. I think a lot of the climbing trips I went on tended to be more organised out with rucksack club. Yeah, yeah. So what happened so after you left uni? Then, like, what did your climbing look like? Were you still sort of climbing with the same folk you were at with uni, or did you go out with a lot of the guys from? AVW and go on some crazy trips. Well, I think so. I had like a bit of a rocky, like my last year in university was like really, really bad. Like I had like a really, really bad breakup and like I basically didn't have anywhere to live. So I was kind of like couch surfing for like a few months, um, which seems going to find a time, but it's a bit horrible not having like a place that's like your own little home. Yeah. Um, yeah. And basically I ended up like failing my last year of uni Um well, I failed at my dissertation, so I'd done everything else, but, like, I couldn't hand in my dissertation just because, like, I was kind of everywhere. Um, but it turned out quite nicely because I, I resat it the next year, but I basically had an entire almost year and a half to, like, hand in this dissertation. And I, like, I hadn't quite finished it, but I was almost there. So it was already, like, two-thirds done. So I had this, like, year and a half of being basically... I had funding from SAS still for, for another year. And, like, yeah. very little work to do. So it was basically just, like, a year and a half of, like, climbing almost non-stop. And at the time, I think I was, like, I was single and didn't really have anything to do. So it was just, like, basically 100%, like, the climbing lifestyle. Yeah. And I think, like, that period is probably where, like, I climbed the most and, like, did the most trads and, like, pushed myself in the most. Um, and met loads of really, really cool people as well. Like, I just... I became one of these, like, UKC obsessives. Like, I would just sit on UKC looking for climbing partners because, like, I had so much free time. Like, people, like, my mates at uni, like, like Tim Gummersall is a really good friend, and we climbed a lot. He was, like, busy, busy doing his, like, medicine degree. So I was like, oh, shit, I need, yeah. I need other people to climb with as well. So I just, like, find people online and then hook up with them and go climbing. But, yeah, that was, like, brilliant, like, year and a half. Nice. So, like, in that... You know, the, well, part of your time at uni, obviously, and part of that year and thereafter, you are a bit of a mega all-rounder. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot. So, mega all-rounder, you've done some pretty cool stuff on trad. You go sport climbing 
a lot. You live right next to Dunkeld. Uh, lots of Spanish holidays. Boulder, loads of winter back in your your younger days, we'll say. Uh, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Rank them. As in, what's my favourite? What's your favourite? What's your least favourite? And I want you to justify your answers as well. Oh, that's tough. Because it's, cha- it's probably changed a little bit. Um, yeah. I think, like, even though I don't do it too much now, I reckon winter is still, like, my number one favourite thing to do. And, like, most of, like, the, you know, like, your big, like, pipe dreams that you have in your head that, like, you wonder if you ever do them. I think, like, yeah. the most, like, alluring ones I have are still through either, will, like, winter routes or alpine routes. Like, I, like the north face of the Eiger is, like, if I if I did the Eiger north face, I think I could, like, die happy. Like, that, <laughs> that would mean more to me than, like, any trad, sport or boulder route. And I can't imagine, even though I don't do that much winter or alpine stuff now, I think yeah. it's just like winter is like, especially winter routes in Scotland, it's just this like amazing journey in the space of a day. Like you start at sea level, you do this big walk in and you climb this like big route and you go back down to sea level all in a day. And it's just, yeah, it's like brilliant. I love, I think Huge winter, adventure. yeah, like winter stuff as well. I think I've always been more drawn to like ice routes rather than mixed yeah. I think strangely, I find mixed routes a lot easier to climb because I think being a relatively good rock climber, like it, it's more transferable. But like winter, yeah, like yeah. I just find the appeal of routes that are only passable because there's some ice there, like really, really appealing. They're almost like ephemeral. Like if that ice disappears, that you couldn't. There's no way you could get up that face anymore. It's impossible. But like ice makes it possible to climb at like an amenable grade. Um, and, like, I really like that idea of, like, something that's that kind of, what's the right word? Ephemeral is, like, the best word to describe it, I think. Um, and you only really get that with winter routes, I think. Although, I definitely, there's a there's a really good sport route in Angus called Ossian in a cave oh, yeah. in Arbroath. And, like, I almost, I remember having this mad obsession of wanting to do it. Because a few people had done it one year. It's basically, it's always wet, like, almost 100% of the time. It's yeah, so wet, it's unclimbable. And it, I think I really wanted to do that route when it was dry for the same reason, because it's almost this, like, ephemeral, like, this route that is normally, like, so wet you can't climb it is suddenly dry. And, like, I find myself really drawn to, like, experiences and routes like that. So, winter number one. Okay. Um, I'm going to go trad number two as well. I think trad's, like, proper type one fun. Like, I don't yeah. really ever have much type 2 fun in trads. Like, I think, like, all the time I'm trad climbing, I'm usually, like, pretty enjoying it. Like, winter climbing, you have to go through a bit of, like... You have to go, up, go through a bit of suffering. Like, that's oh, yeah. kind of part of it. And that's what makes it really good, is, like, suffering and then kind of coming out at the end and feeling like you're kind of, like, like a super person because you went out and handled this situation. And super... That's actually a good point. Like, I think... Like, going winter climbing really equipped me, like, with loads of life skills at the time because you'd go out and do this, like, gnarly winter route in totally gnarly weather and you come back to normality and, like, everything seems really trivial. Like, all the problems in your day-to-day life are just, like... Well, like, I can survive in, like, a storm in the Cairngorms, like, climbing a grade 5 or a grade 6. Like, I'm pretty sure anything that comes at me in, like, normal life is probably going to be all right if I can, like, thrive in that situation. Um, yeah yeah so that, that's like, another miss, missing your bus or your phone running out of charge doesn't quite compare yeah 
Um, <laughs> which is lucky because I'm so disorganized and probably shouldn't say that on like a work podcast. Like I'm so disorganized in normal life that like every day oh, no, is I, like I a hundred percent second that. <laughs> every day is like trying to like <laughs> battle through. Um, yeah, so that's another winter one. Sorry, trad climbing next. Think usually type one fun, pretty good. Nothing better than like big multi pitch, um, sunny weather, really good. And then I think sport and bouldering afterwards. Um, I think they're almost tied. Ooh, I don't know why. It's funny because bouldering has become a lot more important to me now, having like young kids. Because I think it's a lot easier to go bouldering. Yeah, and I appreciate it's kind it. of out of necessity. Yeah, it's like a way of staying fit. But I kind of I've always seen bouldering and sport climbing more as like a form of athleticism, rather than for their like a, a sense of adventure. Yeah, um, and I don't think I think there is a sense of adventure in both of those. Like, there's people that go like finding new boulders and stuff like that. I really liked um, someone from Three Wise Monkeys wrote a really good blog about finding like treasure outside in the form of boulders like you're always like hoping that around the next corner you'll find like the malxaret that no one's ever climbed yeah um, and that, that idea is super cool so you do definitely get adventure in bouldering but i think for me i've always seen it more as like the pure strength and athleticism kind of thing rather than for the adventure of it um and sport climbing is kind of same it's about like pushing your body as hard as it'll go and seeing what your physical limit is yeah yeah, no, I I hundred percent agree. I I would flip. I'd flip winter and trad for me personally. I I am, admittedly, I am just not a fan of being cold. I don't like being cold. Everything else about winter climbing, I absolutely love, but I just don't like being cold. I'm I'm a bit soft like that. <laughs> um, okay, so follow up question to all that. Given what you've just uh, what order you've just put things in. Top three routes in Scotland. They could be winter, trad, sport. We'll ignore bouldering because you put that in the bottom. Bottom two. Top three. Wait, is it on each category or just overall? Uh, Oh, let's go for each category. Go on. Or I'll do do it overall just so it doesn't take so much time. I'll try to pick a couple from each. Best ever winter route. I think I think I have a best ever winter day, but it involved multiple routes. Ooh, I think the best ever winter day I had was with Anna Wells, and yeah. I can't. I think this was the, during this like year and a half period I talked about a bit before, and I think Anna was in medical school at the time, or yeah, working in like Nine Wells, and I was working at the Wall, and basically we thought that. The, the forecast for the, the next day was meant to be amazing. Like, bluebird day, like, high pressure again. Like, absolutely awesome. And the conditions in the bend were really, really good. Like, all the ice was good. But I was working until, like, 12 at night in the wall. And I think Anna was working, like, a half-night shift at the hospital as well. And she finished, like, 1 in the morning or 2 in the morning or something. But basically, we were, like, so psyched that it was, like, we've got to go out and make the most of this. So we just thought, we'll just do, like, an all-nighter. We'll, like, we'll drive at 2 in the morning, go straight to the bend... Like, just do the walk-in, smash out some routes, like, walk back to the car and drive back and just, like, do yeah. it all in a day. Um, which always seems like a really good idea. And then you actually do it and you're like, oh, this is actually pretty grim. 
<laughs> like I remember, uh, Anna won't like me for saying this, but I'm sure like we were walking in through like the the forest at the start of the Ben track, and she was like properly like chundering everywhere, like <laughs> all. <laughs> I think just from like being awake for so long and <laughs> not having had any sleep, like throwing up in the path in. I think she felt like properly, properly grim. Um, oh, that is spectacular! I can't wait for her to listen to this. I oh, know, but to be fair, she like she's st- she still like walked in and like totally trooped on. Um, yeah, and well, I remember she's hardcore. I know, definitely. Um, we walked in and did Smith's route. No, we did um, Tower. Oh, what's it called? Is it Tower Scoop? I think we did Tower Scoop and then did Smith's route above it. And Smith's route is like amazing. It was like one of those dream routes for me. Like I remember watching. Have you seen the Hot Aches film called The Pinnacle? Yeah. With uh, It's got Dave McLeod and Andy Turner in it. And basically yeah. they, they do all the, the Smith and Marshall routes from the 60s, um, which is like Smith's routes and a few other ones. And like after watching that video, like I just had an obsession with wanting to do Smith's route. I remember getting there, and I think I got to lead like the crux pitch as well, which is like, a really, really steep ice fall. And it was like absolutely amazing. Like perfect ice, like blue skies. The only thing that detracted from it is I think we were both so tired in the belays. Like, you're kind of like belaying like every once in a while. You know when your head kind of falls to one side and you wake up really suddenly? Yeah. Like, I think both of us, <laughs> that definitely happened to us. Or like the, the rope moving through the belay device would kind of like startle you and wake you up again. This is probably not very Solid. good like safety advice, but... But yeah, we did Smith's route and then came down and I think did... Like indicator wall or something afterwards? Um, which was, like, gripping. Like, a Smith route was totally perfect. Like, I remember doing Indicator Wall and doing, like, the main pitch, which was on this, like, horrible, cruddy ice, which just, like, fell apart and there was no gear and climbing for, like, 40 metres for an ice crew. But you kind of... It's funny, I could see, like, up ahead there was, like, a belay and you just kind of, like... You just tell yourself, like, just one more... Keep on, one more step, one more step, keep going. One more step, one step closer, one step closer... And you're just going to keep repeating that to yourself. And eventually you're at the belay and it's like, oh, yeah. thank God, I'm all right. But you do, <laughs> there's points where you just feel like you want to be like absorbed by the ice so you feel safe again, <laughs> rather than just like sketching about on this horrible, cruddy ice. Yeah. And that's the thing with winter climbing. You, you, it's really hard to climb down. Like, it's almost way more dangerous to climb down than anything you're actually on. I had that conversation with Mike Pescod. Um it's just like you get yourself into situations you're like right i actually really don't want to be here but going down is now not an option yeah it's definitely i think it equips you really well like you just have a good sense you need to have a really good sense of composure winter climbing yeah. to stay alive um because yeah it's it's difficult to climb down isn't it yeah so trad routes then hmm trad routes I think probably doing two routes right beside each other, I reckon. So there is the the needle and the steeple, I think are two of my oh. favourite trad routes. Oh. Still have not made it to go and climb on Shelterstone yet. It's tremendous. Oh, um, I had like three trips uh, fall apart on me last year. Gotta get done, man. Well, you've not had much luck this year either with uh, coronavirus. Uh, no. No, um, it's one of those amazing crags. Like you, there's certain things in your life, like images you have that will never like leave you. You always remember. Um, and like one of mine is always like starting up the initial slabs. If I think either the needle or the steeple, and like looking up, and you just 
the crag's like a big, it's like El Cap, I guess, it's like a big dome shape. Like it starts off slabby and then gets more vertical and more vertical as you look up. Yeah. So when you're starting in the bottom slab and you look up, it's almost like this big bastion above you is looming over you. And like, it's amazing, like, it's such a cool like sense of scale. It's such a cool looking wall. I've stood yeah. underneath it a bit a bunch of times, but I've never managed to climb on it. It yeah. just looks incredible. And like, yeah, like I get what you mean when you say that it looks like uh, El Cap. It does. It's got that same like similar kind of shape. It's just well a lot smaller, I suppose. Yeah, and I think those two really good climbing partners. I think in those two trips as well. Like I think that's always a bit of a key part for me. Is like I don't remember just nice routes. Like I tend to remember if like. There was something funny that happened to my climbing partner, like the banter in the day. Like the stuff of Anna yeah. and um, the winter day always sticks in my mind. But I think I climbed the needle with Tim uh, Gummersall, I mentioned before. Um, and we climbed together loads at uni. He was like a really good climbing partner. Um, and I think complimented each other quite well. I think he was always like, he was he's a really, really good climber, like really good runner as well. Um, and I think he always was able to climb like a little bit harder than me, but at that perfect level where he wasn't that much better, so we could compete. We had, like, little internal competitions all the time, trying to beat each other. Um, And we each had our own little strengths and weaknesses. Like, I tended to be a bit better, like, bold pitches, but he would be better at, like, tough, like, physical climbing. Um, So we worked really well as a climbing partnership. Yeah. It's always good when you get that, like, the little friendly competitiveness between you and your partner. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I, I... I attribute a lot to what where I got because of the climbing partners I had back then. You know, Mike Lee, Nick DeBoost. Um, plus, I had my little brother nipping at my heels the whole time, and I was determined not to let him beat me. Yeah, that's funny. It needs uh, to, it needs to be the right level though, because if, if you if someone's too much better than you, you almost don't bother to beat them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it takes a special level of uh, motivation to try and beat someone who's way above you. Um, but yeah. Although so I think, on that note, well, on you. No, no, you carry on. Um, I was thinking about that. There's another interesting thing. I think is a lot of the multi pitch climbing I did. Like, I think when you go with people less experienced than you, it like brings on your experience level so much. Because I remember like taking uni club uni folk uh, climbing a lot when I'd sort of been at it for a few years and. Um, like, there's so much more responsibility when you're the more experienced one. Um, like suddenly, like if there's any like anything happens at all, like you're the one that's got to get out of it. And when you come up against like a scary looking pitch, it's you can't just like pass it over to like your mate who's a bit better than you. It's like, right, I've got to like climb this pitch and I've got to get up this. Like, yeah. So sometimes climbing of someone who's like not quite at the same level as you can really, I don't know. I found like brought on my kind of competence in the mountains like quite a lot and just like my like my general confidence in climbing yeah yeah definitely like when you're explaining stuff as well you're you're thinking a lot harder about the wording you use and making sure you you really understand what you're talking about before you say it to anybody um and anytime you you do something you're thinking about like they might be learning off what i do here so what i do needs to be picture perfect yeah, uh, I've I've definitely noticed that if you climb with someone who's uh, of a lower level, you're definitely a bit more on it with things. Um, so I'm going to appeal to your philosophical nature because that's what you did at uni, isn't it? Philosophy, you were yeah, a philosophite. Yeah. 
Not not the most um, uh, useful degree, but. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm going to appeal to your philosophical nature. Um, I've got a couple of questions. One of them is kind of in reference to what you just said, but I've got a good one here. Uh, something that non-climbers, I don't think, ju- they just don't understand this fully. Uh, but I think every single climber that has ever done climbing gets it. The climbing is not just a sport or a hobby. It's a lifestyle. Can you explain that concept with your philosophy head on? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think like climbing in particular like tends to attract certain personalities a lot more so than other sports. I think in climbing... Climbing just tends to attract people that have very obsessive personalities. Yeah. There's just something about it being like a bit niche and like this combination of like maybe ticking roots or something or like bagging Monroe's would be like the Hillwalkers version that in a lot of other sports you just don't really get that. There's not like a way to channel that obsession. Like if you play five-a-side football with your mates, like I don't think it lends itself to being obsessed. And I think yeah. when anyone that has that level obsession, a level of obsession over a certain like sport, like climbing, like it, it just tends to like totally dominate your life. Like everything you do revolves around that sport. I think climbing just tends to attract a lot of obsessive people. So what you end up with is a lot of people that climb, and like climbing is totally their lifestyle as well. Yeah. So what is it then uh, that appeals to you the most? About climbing, or... Yeah. Good question. Probably, it probably comes down to people. Like, I think... Like, I've always been quite, like, a socially anxious kid, and probably teenager as well. Like, I found it quite difficult to relate to people. Yeah. And I think, like, climbing is almost like a kind of get out of jail free card for relating to people because if you climb you can then relate to anyone else in like your tribe of climbers i think everyone's been in that situation where you're like you're like a hardcore climber and you're at like a party or something where no one else climbs and you're like oh no i'm like (laughs) i've got nothing to talk about anymore (laughs) what even is this um but it's weird it's like a total juxtaposition because like i don't think i actually talk about climbing with climbers very much because I find it a bit boring but I definitely find it easier to relate to other people that call themselves climbers yeah yeah there's a a sort of mirroring in personalities and that I think that obsessive nature as well um but I, I totally I 100% agree the amount of times that I've been at a party or a gathering of some sort and nobody else is a climber I'm just like uh Art, uh, uh, art's good, right? Yeah. Uh, football, uh, you know, that that guy kicked the ball, good. Yeah. You kind of definitely run out of stuff to talk about uh, 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 when you can't brag about your latest latest climbing exploits. Yeah. But at the same time, no one wants to just talk about climbing when you're in, like, a, a room filled of climbers. Yeah, like, when you can't talk about climbing with people who don't climb, you also don't talk about climbing that much with people that do. It's kind of been, it's like that thing of uh, being told you can't have something and it's all you want then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Never happy. No. Um, So on that, so we, 
we do a talk every now and again, uh, and as part of the the talk, we mentioned that we both feel that climbing is is more about the people than the climbing. Um, like you just said, and I a hundred percent agree with it. Uh, but what 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 do you mean by that? Climbing is more about the people. Yeah. Um, I suppose. Th- I'm trying to think of a good answer to this. He's deep in thought. Contemplating. You can literally hear the cogs turning over the podcast. <laughs> I suppose to sum up, it's, you never really, it, it comes back to what I said before, like, you never really remember, like, or at least for me, like, I don't particularly remember, like, routes and names of routes and, like, grades and stuff like that. Like, the things that stick out in my head tend to be more about the people that were involved in doing that route or going climbing. Yeah. Like, whenever I think of more memorable climbing experiences, it's always the more important thing is the person I was with rather than what we climbed. Like, I remember moves, and, like, I, I think certain routes are cool and stuff like that, for sure, but I tend to have more permanence when it comes to remembering people and days out than I do about remembering, like, certain moves or, like, grades of routes or names of routes or anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can go and climb... Go and climb something that you consider absolutely disgusting, like horrible rock, not that nice climb, maybe the weather's absolutely rubbish, but if you've got good banter with the person you're with, you're going to consider that a really good day. Yeah, yeah, Um, sure. Like, the person that you're with absolutely makes that day. Um, And what I'm uh, kind of moving into is uh, you have, through the the people of climbing, gained quite a huge amount from it. Yeah. you now have your girlfriend and two awesome kids. Yeah, so I suppose... Did that put me in like a rate... Is there many other people that have... Presumably loads of people have met their partners through climbing, but I don't know, I guess me and Becca are maybe quite rare because we're both probably equally obsessive climbers. Yeah. Um, And yeah, we have Lucy, who's my older daughter, who's like two and a half, and then Ennis, who's my younger daughter. He's like just about to turn six months now, so like that was definitely like I met Becca through climbing. Like I think we originally I think I can't think when we first met. I went I think I went to Sky together, um, and kind of climbed a bit when my thumb was broken, and that's kind of how we first met, and then things kind of went on from there. Nice, um, yeah, and like. It's awesome that the whole family, like, I consider it really cool that the whole family is kind of climbing-based. Obviously, you met Becca through climbing, but, you know, you go and hang out at Craig's. Lucy loves hanging out at the Craig's. Um, and please don't take this the wrong way. Please oh, no. Don't take this oh, no. The wrong way. What's he going to say? Um, <laughs> but, you know, the climbing, you, like you said, you, you've got an equally climbing obsessed family. Becca is a better climber than you. True. Lucy loves being at the crag, but she also, what was it she did the other day? Volunteered to do your work for you so you and mummy could go climbing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. And I know that, you know, like you said, uh, there's probably a few people that have met their, their partners through climbing and, and everything, but uh, there's so many climbers out there whose partners don't climb, don't have any interest in climbing. Um, and I think a lot of people would consider 
what you've got to be absolutely hitting the jackpot. What's that like from your eyes? Uh, so hitting the jackpot in terms of having like a climbing partner, and yeah. I don't know. I suppose I don't know if my kids are into climbing yet, but um, maybe one day. I think there's like there's always good points and bad points to things. Like I think for for me the good point is like our family activity is like climbing. So like like we get to go to the crag as a family and like go bouldering or go sport climbing and everyone comes and like everyone's having like quite a good time. Like there's a bit of a sacrifice made in terms of like maybe we're not pushing it as much as we would if we went by ourselves. So if I went to the crag by myself, just a friend, I'd probably get more climbing done. But that's kind of a sacrifice I think we're kind of willing to make. To I think it's rare that two people enjoy the same thing enough that they can both go and have a good time. Like, if your partner was into running, like you'd always have this feeling that when you go climbing that your partner just wishes they were away running. Or, yeah, like, yeah. if you went running that your partner just wishes that they were away climbing. Like, so you always kind of wish you were doing your sport so it's nice that both of our sports meet up and that we can both go climbing and have a really good time um but at the same time it makes it kind of difficult because like to take your family to the crag like you do have to sacrifice a little bit in terms of your own climbing like you don't get to push it as much as you normally would and yeah it stops becoming your own personal time like sometimes it's nice to have a bit of time to go away and climb and that's just like your thing that you do um so we don't get that as much but i suppose a compromise yeah. is we do me and becca still like we have it at the moment so one one day a week i get to go away and have a climbing day like do whatever i want um and then the next week becca has the same and then we swap over so it yeah. just kind of alternates and then most of the other time like we'll go to the crag as like a family or go bouldering or like go out for yeah. a walk or go running and yes yeah, so- has there been a, a kind of change in the priority of climbing to push your own ability to just climbing for the enjoyment of it? Um, I think I've always kind of climbed for the enjoyment of it. Um, like I like I like pushing myself as part of that. But like I think yeah. like no matter what kind of climbing I'm doing, I always enjoy it. So. You know, your your personal life, your family life, your work life, all climbing orientated. Uh, that is as much immersion therapy as I could possibly imagine. So do you still feel the same now for it that you did on that first day climbing or, or when you joined the uni club? Yeah, for sure. Like, I couldn't imagine yeah. ever not having that feeling towards climbing. And I've climbed for like, like, if you count someone when I first went to uni, like, I've maybe climbed for almost a decade pretty consistently. Like, and in those 10 years, I probably crammed in, like, quite a lot of climbing. Yeah. Um, and I'm still not sick of it. And I think the way I always know is, like, if I'm, like... If I'm, like, doing certain things, like, I'll always be dreaming about going climbing. I'll always be thinking of, like, going to the crag and, like, doing a route or going bouldering or something like that that's like why i sit still like sit and daydream about now when i'm doing other things which for me is a sign that like that's still what i absolutely love that that's still true obsession yeah for sure yeah yeah when you wake up in the morning you've had a really good climbing dream it's like oh god i need to get a life man yeah (laughs) 
Um, so yeah, actually, one thing we haven't spoken about is is that that work life. Um, I suppose it's probably good that we touch upon it, seeing as that is where this podcast has come from. Um, so yeah, you like me are one of the Climb Scotland RDOs. You covered the East Coast. Um, I'm gonna say, you know, second best RDO. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Uh, ooh. Uh, so, right, in your words, what is what is the role? What is the RDO role? I hate this question, by the way. Whoa. That's like a very, like, worky question. Um, yeah. What, is it, what, what does it mean to me personally? Or uh, Yeah, actually, let's go for what does the role mean to you personally? So I think it's just, like, I'm sure from the last, like, 50 minutes or whatever, like climbing in quite a short space of time has given me quite a lot like in terms of personal fulfillment like resilience and like having a family and having kids and having like generally like quite a nice life um like i can see the role of like rdo as like an opportunity to like maybe see if younger kids will want to go through that same journey like and show them how much there is to take out of climbing and, like, the variety of stuff that's on offer for them. Because, um, like, you'll do... Having worked with kids for a really long time, especially in climbing, like, not every kid is going to become, like, an obsessive climber. Like, for loads of them, it's just, like, that kind of social thing they do, and that's totally fine. But, yeah. like, yeah. every once in a while, like, you bump into a kid, and, like, you can just tell they have, like, the fire in their eyes. Like, yeah. you, I just know yeah. in ten years' time I'm going to bump into them again. And they're going to be a crag, and like I'll know they'll have went through like a similar chain of events like I did. Yeah, um, and like yeah, that it's gets cool me... when you think back and you can name a, f- a fair few names of people that you know you're going to bump into at the crag in ten years. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it'd be really interesting seeing another ten years because I suppose there's a few kids I can think of now who I'm like, yeah, they are like they are mad psyched for climbing. Like they're still going to be there. And five years and even in so i've done like the RDO, rdo role for four years and there's people i met at the start who are still like super psyched climbers and like really getting out there so it's like yeah. nice to see them as well yeah so what is a uh, what's been your favorite part of the job then like what is your favorite part or could you give me a favorite day oh god favorite day would be hard favorite day it's hard i think probably all the outdoor stuff we've done has all been really really good like yeah. like i love indoor climbing like it's it's really good but it's it's that same thing as like for me it falls into like the bouldering and sport climbing kind of category where i see it more for the athleticism than i do for the adventure yeah so like i i find myself a bit more drawn to taking kids outside and showing them like what's on offer in scotland and having these big adventurous days, like going bouldering in Torridon of kids, I think is definitely up there as one of like the best days. Cause we've always had oh. really good weather and just, I think I, I can't remember the kid's name, but is it Brody? Brody. Like, I, I like blew my mind that he came to like a Torridon session we run and he'd never climbed anywhere before. Like That's... his first experience of climbing in Scotland was climbing at the Celtic jumble. And, like, just seeing how much of a blast he was having, like, yeah. that's what I mean, like, that's the kind of thing, like, I'm sure that memory will stay with him forever of, like, getting to mess around in all these big boulders and 
having like, its little time of his life in Torridon. Um, yeah. I mean, getting to go to one of the worlds, it, it is, it, like, no argument. Don't even try and argue with this. It, like, Torridon, the Celtic Jumble, is one of the best boulder spots in the world. So getting to go to there, that, that must have ruined any other type of climbing for him. Yeah. He's lucky <laughs> He's lucky he doesn't live in the central belt, then he would have had to go to, like, Rosyth or, I don't know, oh. Nielsen for his next ever trad day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that I've got anything against those venues, but when you've been to Torridon, your benchmark is there. Oh, the bar is set so high. So high. Yeah. So what? Uh, so in your job then, you know, you, you've said what it, what it means to you kind of personally and what your favourite part of it is, but what would be your your main goal from this job? If there's one thing that you absolutely wanted to achieve I think you've got this job just being able to so when we're like ancient and in our 70s or whatever to be able to look back and see like loads of kids that are really inspired by what we were doing yeah like for me like if, if I got to the end of like four years of doing this job and one kid only one kid had been absolutely like inspired by climbing as a result of something we did in our jobs. Like I would take that as a win. So in a way, like I, I think we've inspired loads of kids, like definitely more than hopefully more than one. So like even <laughs> Yeah, fingers crossed more than one. Yeah. So like I think we're winning already in terms of like Yeah. Or I feel personally like I've done quite a good thing already just by hopefully putting kids in a position where they can take a lot out of climbing and it can add a lot of value to their life. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, I think for both of us, I think we've definitely inspired a fair few people, you know, and I can think of loads of kids that I am pretty confident we're both going to run into at the crag in 10 years' time. Yeah. Um, who are all who have all been part of the work we've done. Um, and whether, you know, they even remember our names in 10 years' time or remember what we do, I, I don't care. The fact that they're still climbing is a win for me. Um, so, right, I've got one more question for you then. Uh, this is your opportunity now to convince every single non-climber that's listening to this to try climbing. Oh. Go. That's optimistic that you think there's many non-climbers that listen to this podcast. <laughs> Look, um, I'm an optimi- optimistic person, all right? <laughs> oh, what, I, what would I say to non-climbers to try to get them into climbing? I suppose it's just it's not like cheesy to say that climbing can genu- genuinely completely change your life. And like in a very short space of time, like... I think loads of climbers will talk about climbing in a way that we're like a, a switch flicked and it was like almost an instant change of perspective. So like no matter who you are, like that same flick of a switch could go off in you with climbing. So you may as well give it a shot. And if, if it happens, it happens and you might have found something you love. And if it doesn't, then well, go try golf or something. See if the, 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 the switch flicks there. Yeah. Nice. I think that's a, a good little advert. We'll we'll make a video about that. We'll put that out. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Right, well, I'm going to say that that is as done an hour of chatting absolute nonsense. So thank you very much for 
having a chat with me, answering some questions honestly, um, giving us a, a good little insight into the dark, dingy, scary world of Callum McBain. How many questions have, did you get through all 28 of your questions? Uh, I did. I skipped a couple. I did skip a couple. Uh, they weren't re- really relevant. I'm surprised you missed the the broken thumb saga. See, I did. You you touched on it, and I did consider it. I did consider it. Um, it's all right. We can post the link to the video in the comments for this. Yeah, the, the Daily Mail article. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. Well, thank you very much, buddy. No problem. Awesome. Nice one, Callum. Thank you very much for sitting down with me over a long, extremely long Zoom call recording all that. Um, Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you learned a little bit more about myself and Callum. Um, You will be hearing from us for the foreseeable future, we hope. So yeah, as always, leave us some comments, send us an email, get in touch. If you want to be on the show or if you know of anyone who wants to be on the show, uh, give us a shout. Take care, guys, and as always, when you get out there, do your buddy checks.